Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. The devil overthrew Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden by teaching false doctrine. He used God's word to call into question God's word. All false doctrine is an attack on who God is. To attack what God says is always to attack who he is and what he does to save us. And that's why God teaches us to hold his word sacred, to gladly hear and learn it, and to avoid those who teach contrary to it. This is also why our creeds consistently defend both the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of the Incarnation. These articles of faith are central to saving faith. To believe otherwise about the Trinity than that God is three persons in one divine essence is to be outside of the Christian faith. To believe otherwise about Jesus than that he is the eternal Son of God who in time took on human flesh and blood to live an obedient life as a man and make satisfaction for human sin by his death on the cross is to teach a false and unchristian religion. So the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Oneness Pentecostals, and other such cults are not Christian, nor do the Muslims and Jews worship the same God as we. All Christian doctrine confesses who God is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We cannot change his name, and we cannot change his attributes. He is who he reveals himself to be. God reveals who he is by what he does. He reveals what he does by what he says. He is what he does. He does what he says. He is our maker, our redeemer, and our sanctifier. God made us through his word and gave us life through his spirit. He breathed the breath of life into man and made him a living being. So it pleases God to save us who are perishing through his word, that is, through his eternal son, and to work faith in our hearts through his same spirit who proceeds from them both. We see that the doctrine of the Trinity, which is an often theme in our Christian preaching, is not simply the correct answers up here, but it is the most mundane and down-to-earth and practical truth. Who is God? It touches very intimately on how we are saved. Naturally, God saves us. Immediately before our lesson this morning, our gospel lesson, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, thus fulfilling all righteousness, as he said to John the Baptist. The man Jesus stood in the water. The voice of the Father coincided with the Holy Spirit alighting upon his head, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. After this clearest of all presentations of the Holy Trinity, in all of Scripture, after this, Jesus is immediately led by the same Spirit who anointed him into the wilderness to be tempted. He is led out to defend the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of the Incarnation, as we do in our creeds. And in this way, he defends us. False doctrine 
is always an attack on God's person, on the Holy Trinity. False doctrine is always an attack on the person of Christ, who is true God from eternity and true man born of the Virgin Mary. So the devil tempts and attacks these things. All temptation is temptation to believe false doctrine, all of it. Hallowed be thy name, Jesus teaches us to pray. And God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and when we as the children of God lead holy lives according to it. The reason we sin is because we believe, even for mere moments of weakness and doubt, it's because we believe lies about God. We need to know the truth about God. This is what we must remember when the devil tempts. The shame of your sin and honor of God go hand in hand. It pleased the Lord to lay your sin on Christ. He wraps up all his honor and might and grace and holiness and righteousness in his word. You want to see God? You want to see how he responds to sin and how he treats the sinner? How he's going to look at you? Then see Christ and hear him. Whatever shame your sin brings you is the shame of God's name being profaned. If your life is sinful, it is because God's name has not been kept holy. It is because you have not listened to God's Christ, but to the devil who lies. And how can we possibly overcome? Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come. See God's kingdom come to you. The kingdom of him who overthrows the devil's kingdom. He sends his Holy Spirit through the gospel word that you hear. And he gives you power to believe that all your sins are really paid for. This is what it means to be called a son of God. If you are the son of God, the devil said. Notice first he calls into question the word that was spoken out loud when Jesus had just been baptized 40 days earlier. And this is behind every temptation. When the devil calls your sonship into question, he is calling Christ's sonship into question. The devil cannot attack you without attacking Christ. So see how Christ beats the devil. As soon as Jesus was baptized to be our Savior, the devil tried to make him fall. And so begins the struggle to determine to whom we belong. We belong to the one who wins. God's son could not fall. It wasn't possible for him to sin, but he humbled himself. This humility did not make him susceptible to sin. He's not our Savior because he could have fallen but didn't. He's our Savior because he couldn't fall and didn't. His humility required him as a man to trust in God's word. He had always trusted God's word. It was in obedience and love to his Father's word that he first came down from heaven. The command was clear. As we summarize in the hymn that our school children are learning right now, Go forth, my son, the father saith, and free men from the fear of death, from guilt and condemnation. The wrath and stripes are hard to bear, but by thy passion men shall share the fruit of thy salvation. That's what the father said. Yea, father, yea, most willingly, I'll bear what thou commandest. My will conforms to thy decree. I do what thou demandest. Jesus had always trusted in his Father. He had always obeyed. His trust and obedience and love was part and parcel, so to speak, 
of his very existence as eternal son of the Father. But now he did so as a man. And this was not only just a part of his redemptive work for us, it was necessary. It wasn't just one of the things that happened to Jesus. It was the very beginning of his ministry. Because it's the beginning of our own Christian life. And it teaches us our need for his ministry still today. It was necessary that Jesus, the Son of God, face temptation as a man, as one whose only aid and whose only hold on God's good will and command is through the written word of God. See how he divested himself of, of any other strength than the strength that is given also to you. The word of God. As, he, as we heard last week, Jesus later appealed to what the written word of God had said when the prophets had written concerning his betrayal, torture, death, and resurrection. And so as he sets his face toward Jerusalem, no less than when he set his face against temptations that we endure. It is to the written word of the prophet Moses that Jesus takes refuge to refute the temptations that are common to man. Jesus fights and wins the victory simply with scripture. The Savior was to be tempted no less than he was to be spit upon and killed and raised. If we can imagine that we have captured the mystery of his suffering and death, which we can't, of course, yet yet this which we hear about this morning remains a mystery to thoroughly perplex us, a wonder of God's power and grace that Jesus was truly tempted by the Father of lies, and that he defended his perfect purity and obedience only by the power of Scripture, the same Scripture that he gives us. Only by faith can we accept this. We don't even know how to define temptation except by appealing to our desire to give in to it. And yet he was more truly tempted than we can fathom, but without sin. Only he who can define temptation without identifying desire to fall into it, can save us from temptation. Our frail reason can't make sense of it, that the devil was truly permitted to entice and lure Christ, in whose hearts not the slightest bit of sin was even begun to be kindled. As the devil uses scripture to attack its author, So the devil appeals to good and holy intentions to lure us into sin. And here we see how he attacked Jesus. We have three attacks. Through the powerful drive of hunger, the tempter tried to find a way into his pure human nature, and he rushed in against him with all kinds of thoughts and doubt and defiance. Are you God's son? Is this really the Father's way? Isn't the wilderness supposed to blossom around you? Should God's hunger, should God's son hunger and thirst? Show all the spirits that God is with his only begotten and has given his glory to mankind. Do it. And this pertains to the first lie of the devil. You will not die. The Son of God? No. You will not die. But the Lord wants to atone for our sins by his hunger. 
Jesus overcomes the devil who tempts us to measure God's faithfulness by how much he satisfies our bodily desires. He wins the victory with the Bible. And God knows what we need. That's why he feeds us. And God knows what we need. That's why he gives us his word. God's word alone teaches us that he is our God who gives and sustains our life with or without what our bodies crave in the moment, or even for many moments. God, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of, de- of God. Forty days is a long time to go without food or water. Jesus was kept alive by his Father. Was it supernatural? Well, this is a question of one who asks from a distance and with a full stomach. What Jesus knew and what we must know and look for is not either natural or supernatural, but is that the Father preserved him, whether through natural means or beyond our knowledge. Does one or the other change the reality? Jesus found his life in what his Father supplied, period. So do we. In the second temptation, in which the devil also uses God's word, of course, in his own way, he looks for a way into the Lord's heart and his holy desire to glorify his Father. Reveal yourself to Jerusalem, he is as much as saying. This passage should also be fulfilled in you, that the angels will bear you up, Then you shall immediately sit on the throne of David, and Israel shall praise God. See what he's appealing to? Which pertains to the very second lie that the devil said, for God knows. Because he uses scripture. He tells Jesus what God knows. First he says, you will not die. Now he says, for God knows. But Jesus knows more. Such Thoughts that the devil appeals to, which are good thoughts for Jesus to fulfill everything that God knows, lay siege to his soul. And the deceiver uses all his skill to learn, to lure him by scripture, away from scripture, by telling him what God knows. But scripture interprets scripture, so Jesus wins the victory and continues on his way of humiliation. He will give his angels charge over you, yes, but they bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone by keeping you in all your ways, as we sang. But the devil seeks to lure you off the way of God. God keeps us in all our ways by teaching us to trust him, not tempt him. Jesus would be revealed as the royal son of David, the Holy One of Israel, by way of the cross. We don't choose our own crosses. We bear the cross he sends us. See how Jesus did not choose his. He did not test God. He waited patiently for God to do what he said he would do. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. Then the wicked evil, wicked devil, tries to make a snare for the Lord out of his deep, loving desire for salvation, to rule over all creation. Suddenly, all the kingdoms and powers of the world stand before his eyes. And the tempter says, I have the right to all of this. Since mankind obeyed me, I will give it to you. Just bow down and all this is is yours. Which, of course, 
we see a reflection of that first lying promise the devil made. You will be like God if you worship the devil. It seems like such an obvious temptation, the easiest by far to resist. And yet it represents the most common. It represents the most common. The desire for you to be what God promises you will become. To seek your life as a Christian in any other way than by hearing God's word and trusting and worshiping only God is the only way for God's promises to come true for you. And yet the devil succeeds. He succeeds not only in his craftiness, but in his boldness. This offer seems to give Jesus everything, but in reality it would place him in everything under the devil's dominion. How great would it be to rule the world without the world being reconciled to your Father? No, Jesus, Jesus will suffer. His goal is not to be our king alone, but to rule our hearts and for us to be one back for God. Away with you, Satan, as he quotes the Bible again, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So Jesus continues in his obedience, suffering in fear of God. Jesus defends the Trinity by defending the first commandment. The God other than whom we should have no other is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Only him do we serve because he, only he serves us. He serves us by saving us. He saves us by being undistracted from the cross he came to bear for us. By keeping an undistracted focus. He keeps us undistracted from our own crosses too. He gives us patience to endure them and trust in him when the devil lyingly promises relief. He is above all keeping focused on his own cross so that as we bear ours, we do as well. Jesus is determined to defend the doctrine of the Trinity and his own incarnation, and he shows us why and to what end he defends pure doctrine. It is to defend our way to God by way of where God has atoned for all our sins. He defends his grace toward us. He resists temptation out of love and trust for God. But Jesus' love and trust for God is the same as his love and commitment to us poor sinners. Adam was tempted and fell. He abandoned God's word, believed the deceiver, and was caught in unbelief, fleshly desire, and pride. In him we all fell and came under the power of the devil. Christ holds to God's word, remains in faith, truth, and holiness, and frees us again from the devil. He fought for us, and he won. His victory is your victory if you believe in him because he also won power and grace for you. Not the devil, but Jesus is our Lord. Of course you'll be tempted to, and for that very reason, you should clothe yourself in Christ's power, his faith, obedience, and self-denial. And every child of God is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There he attacks you with grievous doubts about God's goodness and his fatherly concern. He even uses Christian doctrine to make you doubt God's kindness and his election for you, as though these were trips and, and 
traps that God has set. Then he lays at your feet even further snares of unrighteousness, covetousness, and greed. And you are tempted to strive in vain for glory, to go your self-chosen way rather than promoting the work of God, to buy false spiritual hope at the cost of the truth. And he prepares for the child of God all the pitfalls that one can name. But in all these things, he wants to turn your heart away from the word in security or in doubt, in misbelief or despair, and whatever other shameful sin and vice in between. In Jesus' soul, the tempter has nothing to hold on to, though, and no impure desire touches him, though his struggle with temptation was more severe than any of us can imagine. But the tempter finds so much in us to hold on to. And yet he shall be put to to shame because he is defeated by the one to whom we hold on to. You will be tempted, but you will gain the victory. He who won the victory for you shall win the victory in you. You shall stand by Scripture. You will be sorely tempted to abandon Scripture but you receive grace to stay with it and continue in faith and patience on the way of temptation with our Lord Jesus. As long as you are on earth, the devil won't stop tempting you to pride and unbelief, to disobedience and false Christianity which revels in the pleasures of this world. Never as long as you live in your flesh will you be completely free of these bad things. But never will God's Spirit stop teaching you humility and patience and joy in suffering. So learn where he teaches you. He leads you under your own cross to the cross of Jesus. As we sing, Jesus in thy cross are centered, all the marvels of thy grace. That is the center of all Christian doctrine is found in the cross. Thou, my Savior, once hast entered through thy blood the holy place. Thy sacrifice holy there wrought my redemption from Satan's dominion. I now have exemption. The way is now free to the Father's high throne, where I may approach him in thy name alone. So approach him. Call upon him, and he will answer you. Dwell with Jesus in the secret place of the Most High. Learn from Scripture to know him. And he teaches you who your Father in heaven is who his beloved Son is, and who the Holy Spirit is, who enlightens and comforts you. Know that the Son of God is true man for you. He is your elder brother and your substitute under all God's anger, and so also your substitute and conqueror in all the devil's deceit, and your friend. With Jesus you abide under the shadow of the Almighty who protects you. Call upon him, and he will deliver you. And with Jesus you will trample the roaring lion and the ancient serpent under your feet. In your cry for mercy as well, in your your praise for his deliverance, you will glorify him who has shown you his salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.